Romans 13, and we're back here uh, now into this fourth section. Last week we kind of introduced it, overall idea, and we're going to get into the details uh, here this week, next week, next week, next week, so and the next week. So depending on how far we get, we'll then bleed into the next one. So um, we're talking here in the fourth section our reasonable service as it pertains to the issue of human government and our relationship to human government. And as we now come into the issues of life and where we begin to see that we need to be viewing life the way that God views life. And in doing that uh, here, especially as we're dealing with human government, the, the, uh, the natural inclination, the natural flow the natural thought here, again, to human government comes out of that issue at the end of chapter 12 about the enemy and so forth. And we looked last time where the enemy can be the government, but usually the enemy is using the government. And we looked there with Paul and Rome and how the Jewish religious crowd actually went to the government because they couldn't nail him on their own legally. They had to use the government to get him and how Paul then dealt with that. And again, the viewpoint that we are to have is 13.1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. So as we begin this, again, just reading verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Uh, again, re, uh, receive damnation. That is not the damnation of God. You're a, you're a saint of the Most High God, so he's not going to damn you. The damnation there is the issue of the government coming down on you. A great thing will get down where Paul in verse 7 talks about rendering uh, tribute to whom tribute is due. And, and really, for us, it's paying taxes. Now, none of us like to pay taxes. We like to keep our money, and that's a natural response. But what in our governmental system that this, we, we find our situ under, what do we have to do? We have to pay taxes. I hate quarterly taxes. You know, it's a, it's... It, it sucks up a third of my income just to get done. Well, I could be using that third to do something else, but I can't. But if I don't, what's going to happen? Well, 87,000 new IRS agents are going to come knocking on the door, you know, and you, you're like, ah. But the thing is, is Paul here, he isn't talking about the form of government. He's not talking about the people within the government. He's talking about the basic fundamental issue of government was ordained by God. And again, the it, it, it's kind of ironic that we're in talking about this this morning because of the midterm elections. Then the general is coming here in November. And then in 24, or 2024, we have the big one and so forth. And it really, it gets to be an emotional issue. And, and really, Paul has pulled all of the emotion out of it because Paul never tells us this form is better than that form. This person doesn't talk about the people in the office. He's talking about the office itself. And, and we have to be very careful to really look beyond the form that we find ourselves under. Because we tend to look beyond that. We, we tend to look beyond the basic issue of government. And we look at, well, capitalism is better than communism and socialism. And we, and we boil down into the situation that we find ourselves in. And that is not what Paul's talking about here at all. Rather, verse 2, or verse 1, For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And again, the answer is be subject unto. And we talked about that last time as the idea of honor and respecting the office 
not the people in it, not whether they're doing good to you now and bad or bad to you now. Rome did that to Paul. Over and over again, Rome went after Paul. They were initially used by the Jews to do it. When we looked at that Galileo, he said, hey, this is your problem, not mine. You don't bring it to me. You take care of it in your own system. Okay? But then Felix and Agrippa and Festus, they, they entertained it and went after him and threw him in jail. Nero kills him, ultimately. So, obviously, and <laughs> Nero is an interesting guy in history. He, uh, he is a lunatic. He's just crazy. Killed his mom then burned the city down and blamed the Christians. And then he went after them, you know, to hide everything. You know, just typical man, okay, humanity. But when we come here to the issue of government, human government, Paul brings back, he brings it back down to just a basic fundamental viewpoint. And we now, as we're through that renewed mind, learning to view life the way God viewed life, views life, especially here now as we entertain the issue of human government. And it, again, he, he's not talking about the type of government. He's not talking about the people in the office. Paul never tells you to resist the government. He never tells you to protest the government. The only closest thing that Paul ever got to it was he appealed to Caesar. That was it. He never marched on the city. He never marched on the, you know, the council meetings or any of that. He just, he said, hey, we are to view this the way God views it. And when we are learning to renew our mind, which is what we're doing in Romans, we're in that foundational book of our life, of our, of our godly edification, Ultimately, what Paul's telling us in, in this section is that we need to be good citizens. That's what we need to be. And a good citizen is someone who's going to not resist or oppose the, what the government is doing, but rather is going to come in and understand why government is even there to begin with. You follow that? See, in our system, a good citizen would vote. And I've heard people, I've heard believers, why vote? It doesn't count. No, you vote because that's the system we're under, okay? And whether you think it counts or not isn't the issue. The issue is the system you're under. If you're in China or North Korea, you don't get a vote. The Chinese uh, leader, he won 2,676 to zero. Well, you know how that worked. Why? But he's a what? He's a dictator. It's tyranny. And when you get into this and you begin to really understand here what, what's going on, then really quickly you go, wait a second. I can relax and I can be okay with what government is doing. All right? Now, what happens is, is people will use some passages, and we'll see it here in a little bit, that say, well, as believers... We're citizens of heaven, so we're not subject to the laws of the earth, of government on earth. That's the logic that people use to not pay their taxes. And they go into Matthew 17, and they get over there, and they do this, and then they pull this passage up, and they twist it. And, they, and you know what happens? The government says, fine, don't pay your taxes, but we're going to come and get you. And what Paul says here in, in chapter 13 is they're right in coming and getting you. When he says there, received in the verse 2, they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. By the way, the let every soul, then whosoever, verse 2, they that. He's not talking about just believers. He's talking about all of humanity. Now for you and I, it's an inner man issue, and again, and how we think about God, how, how do we view government the way God views government. The passage here isn't teaching us that because we're citizens of heaven, we don't have to comply with, obey. You know, Paul tells Timothy and Titus, obey the magistrates. We can just, because we, we're not of this earth, we're of heaven and blah, you know, yeah, right, right, right. Well, in actuality... 
we should really be, <laughs> we should subject ourselves to human government more than anyone else because we are citizens of heaven and because we do understand God's viewpoint of government. Follow that? So because we have some understanding over here, then when this, when, whether it's good or bad, that's not the issue. The issue in government isn't your comfort level. The issue in government isn't li life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The issue in government has nothing to do with your economic success or loss. The issue in government is really going to be verse number three there. For rulers are not a terror of good works, but to the evil. There's something very specific here that's happening. So when we recognize our when we recognize God's attitude, his viewpoint, his value of human government, then when we look around and we go, man, that's a little harsh, you know, we don't we can understand why they're doing it. We can look beyond the harshness, and we can go back to that basic, very basic reason why God has ordained human government. And that's what Paul's after in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, the governmental powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. If human government is unfriendly to you, harsh towards you, your response is, let every soul be subject to. If, you're, if the government is on your side and the attaboys are, and you're winning, what's your attitude? Be subject to. Now, this is unnatural. That's why this is a renewing your mind. We're flushing out. Remember when we talked about renewing your mind, you got that canister of dirty water and you take the hose and you pour it in and you flush all that out. That's what you're doing. I know, I know believers, grace believers, who because of 2020 and the stolen election nonsense, and I say nonsense, true or not, it doesn't matter. What's my response to it supposed to be? Be subject to it. It is what it is. Okay? Well, Rick, you're telling us to roll over. No, it's not about rolling over. Paul never rolled over. He just didn't go protest down, uh, down, down at the Capitol. He looked at it. He views it. He understands. And then he adjusts and moves on. So to be subject to is that issue of honor. It's the issue of respecting the office, respecting the power. Okay. Now, again, and I understand in our system here, we live in the greatest country uh, that uh, is on the earth right now. That's why everybody's trying to get into it, okay? And again, we are inside it, so we see all the horrible when the outsiders look at it and see all the good, and that's naturally. But the natural response for anybody when the government puts their 87,000 IRS agents, that's all you hear about in that new bill that they just signed. You hear very little about the tax increase and this and that and all the other. Now, you will as time comes. What's crazy to me, and I chuckle at it, is when they pushed the Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare, they said, oh, your costs are going to be cheaper and blah, blah, blah. And yet, what do we need? We need subsequently four or five other bills to lower the cost of Medicare and prescriptions. Then something didn't work. But that's what? That's how government works, the bureaucracy. We're... Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about the ordaining of the power. Now, in 13.1, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now he's going to go into why we are to be subject to him. Okay? Notice it is the power of for no power, for there is no power but, notice it's of God, ordained of God, not by God. God didn't say that the United States of America was to be 
that's okay. People, I, people's, we're a Christian nation. No, we're not. We never were. Now, a, a nation can demonstrate Christian more values, and we sure did that in the beginning. When you, when you read the religious background of the founding fathers, none of them were Christian like we think about Christianity. Benjamin Franklin was a deist, and he, he had some weird ideas about God and religion. Thomas Jefferson hated the Bible. No, and I know that gets emotional, but what did this country, what does it demonstrate? The morality, the Christian, you know, the Ten Commandments and so forth. Okay, fine. It's not a Christian nation. Why? Because God didn't ordain it. But what they do is they say, well, it was ordained by God. The verse doesn't say that. The verse says ordained of God. In other words, God's got a plan. God's got a, he's got a purpose in government. Paul's not saying that every form of government is by direct ordinance of God, then that means that he ordained communism and the tyranny of dictatorship and all of that. that so see how you can, what they're doing is they're shifting the blame from themselves to God. Or if you've been in this country, I, I love the, the 80s, Reaganomics, everybody flourished. Okay, in the 90s, and the early 2000s. You know why they did that? Reaganomics. If you understand economics, economic, economic policy, and I'm getting off on this, but economic policy doesn't, is not implemented right away. Reaganomics was a 10 to 15 year plan. When it got voted in and passed, it's going to go for how long? At least 15 years. So that's 1995. That's 2000. See, and what happened during the 90s? Boom. I mean, everybody's making money, but who did they credit? No, they credited Bill Clinton. They credited the guy in office. Okay, follow that? But it was really over here. But see, if you don't understand that, why? Because in the moment, what's our emotion doing? Everything's good, man. Boom. Hey, so it must be them. The mess of 2008 in the real estate industry was based upon a Clinton administration policy about everybody gets a house. I was, in the, I was in the industry. I remember very vividly, go in, someone who could not afford a mortgage was getting a mortgage. Well, what did the market do? We ain't doing that anymore. When, did that, when was that policy enacted? The early 90s, mid-90s. See, there's a, there's, a, there's a cycle to this. You know that Paul is not talking about any of that? But when you change the of God to by God, who, what did you just do? You just said 2008 was ordained by God to happen to everybody when they lost everything. Because what happened in eight? Everybody lost everything, pretty much. But in the 90s, it was by God. So it was God blessing America, and now God... But that's not what the verse said, is it? The verse said the power structure, the governmental structure, was established by, was ordained of God. The basic concept of human government, the very idea of government, comes right off of the divine drawing table of God himself. That's the point here. So why should I be subject to it? Because God ordained it to be that way. You follow that? All that other was just, we, we'll cut that out of the YouTube video. Probably not, but, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> the very, the issue of nationalism, the issue of human government, the issue of a higher power, the structure is from God directly himself. And the very doctrine of government is something that God created, and by the way, he created it before Adam. He does it in Genesis 1.1. Actually, he does it before that. If you were with us yesterday in the men's fellowship, we were talking about some of that. And as we renew our mind, and as we begin to put on the godly perspective... 
not only in our relationship with other members, our relationship with the enemy, but now here again with the issue of the structure and the ordinances of human government. Come over to Colossians 1. So we need to understand what God designed and how he did it and why he did it. And again, it has to do with the evil. There is a very specific reason why God established human government. Colossians 1, verse uh, 15, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him, and again, that's, we're talking about Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. All right? So all things that were created. So we're back to Genesis 1.1. That are in earth, visible and invisible. Now watch what he created. He didn't create the star, the moon, the, the trees, the grass. What did he create? Throne, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Notice what he created. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What did he create there? He created a governmental structure. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. In Ephesians, he adds mites and rulers. There's a, there's a power structure. So who came up with the idea of creating and installing a governmental structure? Amos 9, he says, in the heaven you built your stories. There's rank of authority, rank of government here. Well, who did that? God did that. Man didn't do it. God created that. And when God created the heaven and the earth, he created a governmental power structure that controlled and ruled everybody. There was not, no angelic being, come over to Job 38, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but, well, just, yeah, Job 38, we'll just do it, don't worry about getting ahead. No angelic being in Genesis 1-1 was allowed to just go out and do whatever they wanted to do. There was order. There was structure. So when we look at, at our form of government, a republic, we have to remember that what God created was the idea of government. The structure, why? Not a republic. Communism, socialism, unitarianism, dictatorship, uh, did I say socialism? If not, I'll say it again. Socialism, you know. It, not any of that. He created, here's what, here, here, here's, a, here's a, the idea of it. When God created heaven and earth, again, Colossians 1, what did he say? He created the thrones, the dominions, the powers, the principalities, the powers, the mights, the rulers. He created a, he created government. Why? Because there was a need for it in Genesis 1.1. There's, there's a structure here. God is not the God of disorder or confusion. He's a God of order. Look at Job 38. Look at verse... Now, Job, the Lord is talking to Job alone. There's no one else with Job. It's just God and Job and he's going to ask Job, look at verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Talking about his three miserable friends and then Elihu, uh, uh, Elihu there who showed up and did some talking too. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer, and answer thou me. Now when he says gird up your loins like a man, he's not talking about, you know, Toughen up, buttercup. Let's, he's talking about Job. You need to think like a man would think here. So let me ask you something, Job. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? 
Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Where were you, Job, when I created the heaven and the earth? Job was, man's not there. See that? But now watch the next verse. Because who is there? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So when he's, when he's Genesis 1-1 in it, creating heaven and earth, who is also there? The angelic realm. Morning stars and sons of God are two classifications within the angelic realm. Lucifer is called the son of the morning. He's the leader of the morning stars. The sons of God, the angelic realm there. So you've got the angels there. God's creating. The, angel, the angelic hosts are there. But again, the angels can't just go do whatever they want to do. So what does he create? A power structure. The higher powers. They're operating within an, or, an, within an ordinance called the power of God. He's established a system, a structure that maintains a balance of order in the universe. And that structure, you're in Job, come over to Job 1. Part of that structure and part of the reason for the structure is to hold the creatures in the creation accountable. Job 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now this is after the fall and everything, but what are they doing? They come to the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north, come over to chapter 2, and what do they do? They present themselves to the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Satan, Satan's there again. But what are they doing? Well, you all have had supervisors, haven't you? Think about job. You got a supervisor, and your supervisor calls you in for a review. <laughs> what are you doing? How's this project going? Are you getting it done? Do you need any help? Do, what is, you know? And that's literally what the Lord's doing. The Lord has given the business of heaven out, if you will, and now he's calling the host together to, to give accountability. How are we doing? Give me a project status update. What's going on, this or that? Are you even Now, Satan's here because this is after the fall, and Satan ain't out there doing the will of God. He's doing his own will. But what's he still doing? Why does he still present himself to the Lord? Because he's a cherub. He's a created being. He's not free to just go and run around yuckety-yuck and do what he wants. Now, he does, but he's still, still accountability. So the power structure is already in place before Genesis 1, day 6, with the creation of man. It's already there. And that's Paul's point. The ordinances, the higher powers, they are of God. And it, and it has to do with his original design, his original intent, in establishing an orderly structure for creation to function within. Okay? You follow that? So when you think about government, again, we get in the weeds and the details, 87,000 IRS agents, oh my goodness, you know, and they're armed, and they're going to shoot you. And I'm like, uh, okay, maybe, I don't know. We'll have to see. They're the new SS, the new Gestapo. And I'm like, if... if if you don't do anything wrong, they don't have anything to bother you with, you know. Well, you don't make it up. Ah, okay, whatever. Then you're what? Now what are you? You're on an emotional roller coaster, aren't you? And we're not to be there. We're to step back and say, you know what? It is what it is. I'm going to view this the way God views it, and He says they're needed to keep order and to keep structure. And I know what happens. Well, what happens when they don't do that? We're going to talk about that in two weeks because there is provision for 
civil disobedience, if I can say it that way. Okay? And if you think about Rahab and the two spies, all right, that's a big illustration of it. But you know that she never protested the government. She never marched on Washington or Phoenix. Bring it local. You know what she did? She just lied to him. And you know what God did to her? Saved her. See? So there's some provisions there that in Scripture, and we'll look at them. I'll get ahead of myself. The point here is, is that God has an ultimate reason for the ranks of government to be established. And they. what I want you to catch is prior to man, that structure was already in place. And so when we look at where we live, USA, Arizona, uh, Korea, North Korea, South Korea, India, China, Pakistan, Afghanistan, it, again, sometimes it looks like things are going good. Sometimes things look like they're going bad. But that isn't what we use to determine whether we're subject to it or not. Why are we, 13.1, subject to? Go back to Romans 13. Why? Because God ordained human government. God had a will, and it was good, human government. And because God said it, he established it, he did it, he, he, he ordained the, the structure of, I'm going to accept it. It's acceptable to me. Why? Because God ordained it. Therefore, I'm going to go out now and live in my renewed mind and live in some maturity, some perfection in the will of God as, as in my reasonable service. So in 13.1, what's going on? Now, by the way, when we understand the issues of human government, and again, we're back to Romans 13, Colossians 1. We have to remember that in the end, I was thinking about this this morning. Look over with me to Revelation 20. When we think that the government is getting away with something, and usually when we think that, it's we've boiled down into people. We have to remember Revelation 20, verse 11 and following. And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead. And again, the end of that verse, every man according to their what? Their works. In the end, what's God going to do with all of those people we think are getting away with, you know, whatever? He's going to judge them according to their what? Their works. He's going to get them. Why? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You don't need to worry about getting even. That's why Paul, again, Paul doesn't... Talk about rebellion or opposition. He just says, here's why you are to be in subject to. 13.1, God set up the order. He set up the structure. He set up the need for government because he's got an ultimate goal with it. And what you and I need to understand and realize is what God is doing in the universe, and that's the purpose. Again, the purpose of government isn't for your life to be easy. I don't think life was easy in Japan during World War II for the POWs. When you, the, the march on Bataan, the Philippines, and all that, I don't think life was easy there. It's not their goal to make your life easy. It isn't their goal to make you comfortable. It isn't, it isn't even government's goal to pay your bills. Okay? It's there to keep order. Now look in 
Again, Paul, why am I subject to it? Because God ordained the system, the structure, the ordinance. 13.2, whosoever therefore resisteth the power. Okay, now you think about, he's not talking about going out there and resisting Rome in his day. He's not talking about resisting the, the uh, January 6th in Washington. He's not talking about protesting. He's talking about if you resist the power, you're resisting the what? The ordinance of God. You see how he says that. He doesn't say resist Rome and fight back. He says, no, if you resist the power, what you're really resisting is the ordinance of God. You're resisting his ordinance. That's why I've said over and over again, he's not talking about form of government. He's not talking about the people in the government. He's not talking about whether the government's on your side or against you. He's talking about what? That basic fundamental issue of the structure. Why is human government here? Am I, is that... Okay? Because if it's not, we'll keep drilling the point in here. Because what happens is, is our natural bent is, look at what they're doing. You know? Look at Pelosi. Look at this. Look at that. Look at Schumer. Look at this. Look at that guy. You know, uh, look at uh, Tip O'Neill, if you remember him. Look at this guy. You know, and he's not that at all. What are you really resisting? The ordinance of God. You're not, you're not in line with the ordinance of God. You're going to resist the power. God has divinely established a structure, human government, for order. That's what you're resisting. Yeah, but Rick, this guy, no, I, no buts. There are no yeah buts in this passage. Now, we write them in there because... Naturally, what do we do? We go, but we're, what are we, what's 12, 1 and 2 say? We're to do what? Transform, be renewed. We're to get out that old and quit thinking about that and think about it the way God thinks about it. How does he think about it? Again, you're going to receive damnation. They that resist it shall receive to themselves, not of God, but, the fa- but from the resistance of the government that you're under. Again, the taxes is the easiest issue. I, back when they were redefining marriage, we had some folks here, we were on baseline, and they're like, well, what are you going to do if they tell you you got to do this? I said, I ain't going to do it. Well, then they're going to take away this. I said, then they take it away. You know, we go to all cash giving. <laughs> you know, I don't know. What do you, I, and I told the, 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 the gentleman, I said, you know, it doesn't matter what they do. We are to continue in the things that we have learned and of whom we have learned them. We can figure this out. They've been doing it since the first century. Actually, before that, figuring out how to study and learn and grow in oppressive, far more oppressive governments than what we have. But now watch verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Now, we're going to talk about good works probably next time, okay? But to the evil, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Again, of the power. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So you got this thing about evil here. And it's the evil. It's interesting that in chapter 12, up there in verse 19, he said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, saith the Lord. And we were talking about how today it's grace and peace. That's God's attitude towards the world. But yet, at the same token, in the governmental structure, what did God give government the power to do? Wield the sword. Wield the wrath. But not just indiscriminately, it's something very specific, the evil. God, there has, there's an evil that God has deemed that needed to be under an orderly structure 
to control, to handle. Okay? Now come back with me to Acts 17. We're going to spend today and probably next time looking at this. Acts 17. Because when you think about government, and it's good works, we'll talk about that in just, by the way, good works in the context would be what? Obeying the magistrates and getting, being, being a good citizen. Duh. What would be the evil? Well, it's more than just resisting the government. There's something, it's the evil. Not evil, but the evil. Very specific here. And we need to understand that as we think about government and as really we move along in, in, in chapter 13. Look at Acts 17. Look at verse 26. Now, Paul's on Mars Hill, and he says, and we're just diving in here, okay? And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply. Now, by the way, haply there is not happily. It's perchance, okay, perhaps they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Notice what Paul says in verse 26 very carefully. What has God done? He's made man of one blood of all nations. That's why when you look at the DNA spectrum, what is it, something like 98-something percent of all DNA match. Why? Because we're all human. <laughs> Duh. All right? Everybody bleeds red. Nobody bleeds blue or green or purple or pink or black. We all bleed what? Red. Why? We're human. But notice the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He's talking about the sovereignty of the nation, the walls, boundaries, habitation. Why does God establish this concept of boundaries, of a wall, of protection? Well, verse 27, that they may what? Seek him and find him. You see, the ultimate goal is for man, and the issue here of nationalism, is to seek and to find him. Nothing else. Nothing about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nothing about economic, my, my, my uh, 401k busting at the seams, or my 1040 good, or I didn't pay any taxes, or this. None of that. But rather, it's an issue of well, look, look at verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if haply, and again, that haply there is the issue of perchance or perhaps or, or so happens. They might feel after me. Why do they have to feel? Who feels? Spiritually blind people do. They're in spiritual darkness. That's where the nations are. He, 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 uh, later on, down in verse 30, he says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth every, all men everywhere to repent. What, time of what? Ignorance. Man's spiritually blind. They're sinners. What are they doing? The blind, the God of this world, the blinded the minds of the lost. What are they? they they're feeling. They're blinded. They feel. They're diligently seeking him. And what do they do? Then they find him. But notice the issue there of the boundaries. We have a great debate in this country about the southern wall. By the way, there is a northern wall, too, that isn't up. You think the southern route's bad, you ought to go up north. <laughs> it's pretty bad up there, too. You just don't hear about it because you don't live up there. You live down here. Okay? But why the issue of boundaries? Come over to Deuteronomy 32. There's something that God is doing here. There's something that God is establishing, Deuteronomy 32. And this is directly the issue within the subject matter of understanding why our God ordained the higher powers, the issue of government. Deuteronomy 32, look at verse 8. When the Most High, now watch this, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. The Most High, Genesis 14, defines that as the possessor of heaven and earth. So when God, he, what did God do? 
he divided the nations. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. You see that setting the bounds? Now, this is Genesis 10 and 11, and we're going to get into that next week, okay? I already can look at the time and know that's what's going to happen. But notice, he, he set the bounds. Nationalism, human government, is the issue of setting boundaries. And God designed the nations to function independently from other nations. And the reason for that, we'll see it when we get into Genesis 10 and 11 and we look at Nimrod, it is to prevent a Nimrod. It's to prevent one single individual with uh, ruling and reigning with tyranny and controlling everybody. That isn't the, the nationalism, human government, is intended to protect humanity. from tyranny and it's a and also to produce a place to seek and find the lord he divided up so whose idea is it to divide up man and allow sovereignty to take place nationalism to take place god's idea so when you sit over here and pitch your little fit about the government you know who you're really pitching a fit against god and what he established. That's what Paul's getting at. Paul says, listen, when you renew your mind, you're going, to have, you're going to have a viewpoint of government completely different than what you had prior because you're not, we're not after the guy. By the way, the person in the office, what do they need? What, what is God's attitude towards that person? If they're lost, they need to get saved. If they are saved, they need to come to the knowledge of the truth. That should be our attitude, should it not? So now when we go talk to the councilman or woman, we can go talk to them about whatever the issue is that we need to talk to them about, but we can do it at Debcom zero instead of five on the volume scale. We can go in and say, hey, I got an issue. Here's this, that, and you can work it out, hopefully. Come over to Isaiah 10. Isaiah 10. So nationalism or human government the issue is, it's an idea established by God. So then what is the counterweight to nationalism? Globalism. Universalism. Well, Isaiah 10, if you look there at verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. The Assyrian, here's the Antichrist, right? So we're over in 70th week of Daniel time frame. But just drop down at verse number 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, here's what the king of Assyria says. Here's what the adversary says. Here's what the Antichrist says. By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom. For I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasure, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. Do you see what that man did? He removed the bounds of the people. You know what he did? He destroyed nationalism. He destroyed the issue of sovereignty. He destroyed, he's attacking what God established. There's the evil. So when you hear former President Trump talk about nationalism, what did our wonderful media do? They ran to the KKK and the white supremacy group thinking, didn't they? When that is not what the man's talking about at all. But that's where they, why? Because they're part of this course of the world that's designed is to do what? Verse 13, tear it all down. You follow that? Now, the guys in the meet, the people, they don't know that. Mr. Trump doesn't know that, what he's doing. He just has an idea of what it ought to be, okay? 
verse 14. My man, my, and my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathering eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peeped. Notice in verse 14, my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathered eggs that are left, and I have, get, have I gathered all the earth, and you know what they do? We're all one now. No one's moving independent of the other. We're all moving together. Globalism. Come over to chapter 14 of Isaiah. You see, the evil here that Paul's referencing to of why God established human government, the first evil is a satanic policy of evil. That's the first component of it. Okay? Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou that's cut down to the how art thou, how art thou cut down to the ground? Now watch, which did weaken what? How does he weaken the nation? Taking down the individuality, taking down the borders, the bounds. He's removing. That weakens the nation. The original intent of Lucifer is to undo what God established for the orderly function of creation. Let's weaken it. How do we do it? We attack. We weaken. Verse 17, that made the world as wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house, that made the world as wilderness and destroyed the city. What did he do? He weakened them. They no longer were functioning the way God designed them to function. God designed man to function with boundaries, individuality. And, sit, and we get over into Genesis 10. Go back, come back to Genesis 4. We've got to do this quickly. You, you go back into Genesis 10, and we'll do this, and we'll see the, boundary, the bounds of the, of the nations. And what happens there is it's for individuality, it's for people, it's for, for the safe harbor of the issues of volition and marriage and family, the first three institutions of creation. And when that happens, then what happens then is people can flourish, they can seek him, they can find him, they're, go, they're ongoing. But when you attack that, what are you doing to the powers that be? You're weakening them. You're destroying them. You think that the issues of globalism is something new, a recent thing. It's been on the market since the early 1900s, if not actually the early 1800s in some of the writings and the readings and so forth. You think about the beginning of, of Great Britain and England, and it was the issue of unifying everybody under one king rather than leaving the different tribal sections. Get one king, get it all unified. You look at Hitler, and what did Hitler want to do? Unify Europe. What, what's happening there? Those guys are doing things that they don't understand the spiritual side of it, but they're understanding some, a thought process that's been in place since Cain, Genesis 4. Watch this. Genesis 4. You have Cain and Abel, verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So what we got the first murder right here. Okay, um, uh, between men, in humanity. The first murder was Satan with Eve in the garden. Here's the first murder amongst people, humanity. You got Cain killing Abel. So what does God do? Verse 12. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Okay, Cain, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be a, you're not a, far, Cain's a farmer, loves the ground. Not anymore, you're going to wander around town looking for a place to lay your head. You're going to be a hobo. You're going to be a traveling guy on the train of life. Verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, thank you, I appreciate it, wonderful. Glad to do it. No, well, you know what he says? Typical man. My punishment is greater than I can bear. It's unfair. It's unjust. I protest. So he does protest. So watch God. 
He protests in verse 14, verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, now watch, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any find him should kill him. You know why Cain was marked? So no one would kill him. Not to produce all this other stuff that stupidity says. Religion says. No, what, what does the verse say he marked him for? He marked him so no one would kill him. And what is God doing here? God is, he is preempting vigilantism. He's preempting anyone in Abel's family from retaliating against Uncle Cain. You can't touch the man. God is limiting, he's narrowing the violence. No more violence. What Cain did to Abel was violent. We're not doing that, guys. That's not how humanity is going to work. You with me? Don't kill him. So what's Cain do? He rebels, builds a city. We have great growth. You have society formed in verse 16 down to, look at verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, uh, problem there, isn't it? There two, he's got two of them. You're only supposed to have one. So what's society do? They're already rebelling against the issues of God. He says, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Now, Lamech killed a guy. You're not supposed to be killing. But what did Lamech do? He killed a guy. Now, whatever the circumstance is, you get in a big debate about that, whoop-de-doo. My point is, is, what did God say? No, no violence, guys. No killing. But Lamech did. Now, come over to chapter 6 in the days of Noah. Verse 5. And, the Lord's, and, and, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at what God, look at what God's, look at where man is now. It starts with Cain killing Abel. And it just went, it it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. When it repented of the Lord, isn't that the Lord says, man, I wish I never made man. It's not what he's talking about. It's now the Lord has to adjust some thinking about man because what's going on with man? The human condition is only getting worse. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 13, and God said unto Noah, the end of of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What's happened? There's unbridled violence going on now. There's the other part of the evil. What's happening here? Come over to chapter 8. We have the flood. 821. 821. So now we're after the flood. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. So Noah has built an altar. They're off the boat and so forth. Now watch the end of verse 21. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And uh, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. You know what God says? I destroyed man. I'm going to give them a second chance. The problem is, is that they're going to do it again. The violence. The cycle is established. That's why, verse 22, there's the cycle about the earth. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not see. There's a cycle set up now in man. Why? Because the human condition wasn't corrected by the flood. The flood couldn't correct human condition. Who can correct human condition? Calvary corrects that. See? The human condition is is established. So there's no change. Man is still hell-bent to do violence. Wicked. So chapter 9, what's God establish? 
capital punishment, human government. Chapter 9, verse 5. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it at the hand of man and at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. What's he established? Verse 7, and you be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. God established government. God authorizes humanity now to execute judgment that's going to require capital punishment. It's okay to kill a man for a man now. But whose job is it? Government's job. It isn't. I have it out for Paul, so I'm just going to go kill him and everything's okay. No. The governmental officials sit, judge, rule. Now we can execute it. It's government's job. Why? Because of the wickedness of man's heart. Now, by the way, you see 9-7? I know we're over, but we've got to finish this. Where he tells Noah, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Everybody says that's the same thing that he said to Adam. But when you read what he said to Adam in Genesis 1, verse 28, it is not the same thing. In 128, God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over it. God didn't tell Noah to subdue and have dominion. God tells Noah, you just go out, be fruitful, multiply, scatter out, and fill the thing back up. Adam, you're to have dominion. You're to subdue. Adam was given the responsibility, the privilege of setting up government. Noah was not given that responsibility because God has already established human government. And 9, 5, and 6. Why? Because no one man is to rule and reign over the whole situation. It's now going to be done up in boundaries, nations, the issue of nationalism. Nationalism is the mechanism whereby God has ordained the, the institution of, in this case in Genesis 9, capital punishment. So capital punishment runs all through your scriptures, by the way. Genesis 9, before the law. Leviticus 24, under the law. Romans 13, under grace. Acts 25, under grace. Isaiah 11, out there under the kingdom. Deuteronomy, and all, it's all there. Okay, now come back to Romans 13 because we're five minutes over and we need to be done. So in Romans 13, when he says, the evil... It's specifically, he established government and humanity for the orderly maintenance of, of, the, of the creation. But there is an evil that has sprung up. The satanic policy of evil, its design is to weaken the nations, therefore weakening humanity. And man has taken it, taken it, hook, line, and sinker, and all they want to do is violence. You've got it, I want it, so I'm taking it. And God says, no, government's going to be established. Not the people, not the form, the type, but the principle. So who created the powers, who created the ordinances, was God. And you know what? When you can see that, and again, we're, we're over, so we'll look at Genesis 10. <laughs> I got like eight more pages of notes here next, next time. Because when you see that, what you can then do is relax in your relationship with government. No matter if it's good or bad, you can sit there and go, hey, there's a reason why this is here. And the reason is because of the evil that man can do over here. 
And if I, if I understand that, then my attitude is completely different than Democrat, Republican, Independent, Greeny, Green Leaf Tea people or whatever, okay? Ah, oh, no, I can sit here and say, hey, I, that's what it is. So next time we'll look at the way that God set all this up. We'll pick up here in Genesis with Noah and move forward uh, in the understanding of it, okay? All right, sorry we're six minutes over. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions here, and for the necessity to have our understanding be adjusted to the, your understanding and the way you think, especially in these critical details of, of everyday life, so that we can be those ambassadors, we can be the proper representatives of your thinking towards the world about us. In your name we pray, amen.